0: This panel discussion was recorded at the recent Western Australian Brewers Association Conference in Perth. Brews News was able to attend to host and record these panels thanks to the generous support of Bintani, and we thank Bintani for their support, not only of us, but also those brewers in attendance at the conference and those unable to attend in person. Bintani, supplying the brewing industry with a wide range of quality brewing ingredients since 1995. This panel is looking at becoming carbon neutral. In the face of climate change and consumer expectation, how can breweries focus on becoming more sustainable? I'm joined by Mel Holland, Manager Planning and Sustainability at Rocky Ridge Brewing Company and recent uh, Sustainability Award winners.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: And also Michaela Hermanova from Endeavour Carbon Active Certification Consultants. Thank you. Big Thank round you. of applause. <laughs> I don't think you can overstate how important, how much coverage, carbon neutrality is becoming an important part of all businesses, but it's such a tricky thing. How did you guys negotiate it? Because uh, Rocky Ridge has really made um, its carbon footprint a focus of your business. What was your background coming into it?
1: I mean, Rocky Ridge, we've always been built on sustainability and it was, you know, we got our pillars of our business and this was one big part of it. Um, and when I say sustainability, it covers lots of other things like your government, your social, all that sort of stuff. But environment was obviously a huge portion of our sustainability stuff. Um, and so from the get-go, we always planned to be a net zero business. Obviously, you know, we were poor when we started. So, you know, it, it's a it's a process to get there, but it's always something that we, we knew we wanted to go down that route and calculating your emissions and doing the carbon neutral certification is is a way to see how you're tracking and a way to kind of compare where you've got big emissions and where you've got smaller emissions and how your supply chains are working. So it, it was always something that was kind of in the the pipeline and it made it an easy way to sort of track how you're going along that pathway to net zero. I guess.
0: What was your background in it though? And I'm because I want to speak to Michaela about. If you don't have a background in it, but you clearly had some knowledge and understanding that you were able to do this yourself, or did you go from zero and teach yourselves?
1: I mean, Hamish, the other half of Rocky Ridge, is he's a farmer, farming background, so he had a very much a tie to the environment. He's seen climate change impact the land firsthand, whereas my background, I'm an architect, so um, not necessarily in this field as such, so majority of the stuff that we've worked on has been self-taught. Um, We use um, an agency that does our physical calculations for us, but we still have to come up with all the info. We still have to track everything. You still have to do all of the information collating to to get to them. So having a background that understands more your supply chain network and where you want to get to, I think, is important, more so than whether you have an environmental-based background or anything that's to do with the carbon sector. Um, I think it's more just having really tight understanding of your up and down supply chains, where you're buying from, what you're doing with that, your inventory, that sort of stuff. Um, and then also having a really close relationship with whoever your consultant is because they're the ones that are doing the data entry, the calculations from what you give them. They can only work off what you give them. So the more you give, the better it is. Um, for them, it makes their life easier and the more you do it, we're now in our third year um, of being carbon neutral. So each year you have to do the same reports. And the better you are at record-keeping, the easy that is for you, obviously. Um, but it, it is, it's hugely intensive.
0: Michaela, perhaps you can explain, first of all, what Endeavour does, you know, what a carbon consultant does.
2: So Endeavour Environmental is a specialist carbon energy and human rights consultancy, and part of the work that we do is helping businesses become carbon neutral through the climate-active standard, So we work exclusively with the Climate Active Standard. So this is the government-backed carbon neutrality program. And as consultants, we help our clients um, achieve carbon neutrality. So we take them through the entire process. We first sit down with them, um, determine what it is that we're looking at, whether it's a product, um, a beer product, or if we're looking at their business as a whole. Um, We will look at the boundary of that that product or the organization, determine what the emission sources are, help them collect data, and then we do the calculations um, and take them through the verification. So with Climate Active, there is um, an extra layer of verification for a third party to review the work that you've done, and then we help them through um, the documentation and the submission to Climate Active as well. So we offer full turnkey services for our clients and help manage as much of that as possible
0: and i have to say as a small business person i'm exhausted by listening to the process that mel had to go through i'm a flat strap running my own business not in the brewing industry but it is a business that i would like to be better but it's exhausting how hard is how hard do businesses find it when they come to you wanting to change their you know understand their carbon and solve their 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 carbon contribution
2: So as Mel indicated, data is very, very important. And the better you have your data organized to begin with, the easier that process is for us and for yourselves as well. I would say that that's definitely the biggest challenge that businesses face is we look at, you know, a full year of data. So digging up electricity invoices, looking through their general ledger, Um, that process can take quite a while. Um, That being said, we can, you know, we, we try and make it as easy as possible, so we help identify data sources and chase them up for you, and um, we don't, I guess, expect you to have every single invoice for every single little thing, um, we understand that that's just not practical, so we can make estimates and model things um, so that it's a reasonable amount of effort, but I agree. Um, with Mel that data is very important and is key to your success. I was just going to add to that. Um,
1: as brewers, we have amazing suppliers. Um, they, we, we also spend a lot of money with our suppliers. So put, we put a lot of onus back on some of their record keeping as well. And um, we found that a really good time to do it was actually at the end of financial year because you're already summarising everything. You're already doing all that stuff for your tax purposes, so it's, it's you take all that information that you get from your, your financials and all your trading, and then you're adding on all those suppliers issues. So you've already done half the work um, with it, and then you get everything that's issued from your supplier and add that to, I have a basically a, a drive file that I send through to our carbon neutral guys, because um, we use Carbon Neutral Australia to do our calcs, and I sort of am now rolling through trying to do it quarterly, so it's not such a big task. Um, and then they they have access to that drive file and we just communicate with, hey, I've just put these invoices in there and X, Y, Z. Um, With us, we didn't go with the extra layer of certifications because it meant more to us to figure out where our carbon emissions were and actively spend the money on getting rid of them rather than having a sticker on a can. So we are not technically certified carbon neutral. We say proudly carbon neutral, but the people that do our audits are certified. So it's through a certification of second hand that we actually get certified through them effectively um, and know that their business is doing the right thing because they are certified by the same people. Um, So it's a way that you can go about it. You can go the full certification. If you want to put um, the labels on the can, you want to pride yourself on that, that certified carbon neutral, it's got that extra layer of um, administration that's involved and I just was kind of exhausted by then.
0: <laughs> I, I'm ex- th- th- and that's the point. I think we become exhausted at the challenge. So let's look at why we should put ourselves in the position of, of doing this. And I, I, I'm just going to ignore the whole fact that we have to because otherwise the planet is screwed. You know, We'll just put that whole thing to aside because we can justify anything to ourselves if we want to be selfish if something is too hard. Why should, a business, um, why should a business actually look at going through this process? What is the value to their business that's beyond just being good for the planet?
2: So I think a really valuable part of becoming carbon neutral and becoming carbon neutral through Climate Active is joining the carbon neutral supply chain. So. We, you know, as consultants, we have a lot of businesses coming to us who are looking to become carbon neutral themselves. They're looking to become carbon neutral organizations or they're looking to run carbon neutral events. And they are actively looking for other carbon neutral businesses to partner with to, you know, help promote their own carbon neutrality um, by, you know, putting out all the marketing and then saying we're partnered with, you know, the beer for this event is fully carbon neutral and provided by X. And within, you know, I think the value of of joining Climate Active is not, you know, for the label on the beer can, but I think it's for the businesses that are coming to us to know that the claim is what it is claiming to be, so, yeah.
0: Which raises a really good point because as soon as consumers start caring about anything, and I know Mel and I have talked about this, as soon as consumers start talking about anything, people will start marketing that thing to them, maybe not completely transparently or completely honestly. And, you know, we'll, to, to, to take another example is the free-range eggs. When consumers started caring about battery chickens suddenly we started seeing multiple certifications for free-ranging and changing of definitions because the people that were the problem in the first place often didn't like the new definition because they were hard to conform to. How important is it that there is rigour around these things, uh, around things like carbon neutrality, so consumers actually can have confidence and it's not just carbon washing
2: I think it's extremely important. Um, I think the market is getting flooded with, you know, all sorts of online calculators that um, can calculate your carbon account for you, and and lots of different labels are being thrown around. And um, I think that risks, you know, consumers and organizations not trusting those claims, and it, it will become something like the free range, you know, um, the sticker on your eggs, where no one really knows quite what it means. So that is something that that Climate Active are trying to actively. Um, solve by being the, you know, the the body that um, certifications go through. Um, So I think it's extremely important. Um, And through Climate Active, you know, they're they're trying to be transparent um, and they're trying to push for this consistency with organizations. So they're continuously improving, um, you know, the the public disclosure statements and, and the level of information that they require from companies. To be transparent, and again, to to have that um, that standard in there, they're growing very very quickly, so that's exciting.
0: M- Mel, I'm mean, I'm interested in the fact that you never went through the that you've done everything because it's important to your business philosophy but you don't feel the need to market it as strongly by having the certification logo on your can. Does it frustrate you when you see other people who may be not doing as much, making more noise?
1: No, I think the I think the one thing to remember is that, you know, we do live in a, a society that is social media based and there's a lot of greenwashing um, that does happen. It's it's naturally going to occur. Like you say, people latch onto things. But I think what we need to remember is, you know, we're doing it... If you're doing something, it's better than what you were doing previously. So, you know, it's all about what's suitable to your business as well. You can have a carbon neutral product. You don't have to carbon neutralise your whole business. So it's all about what's sustainable for your business as far as financials as well as, you know, making sure you're protecting the environment the best way you can. Um, And for us, it was more about getting, you know, we've looked into the the climate active certification. Um, I have a little bit of a personal issue with it because it's... They're the certifier, i.e. the regulator, and they're also completing audits. But that's another
2: topic. Oh, they're not. <laughs>
1: not anymore. Um, no, they
2: never were. Yeah, they are.
1: Um, but the other thing is that um, I guess it's for us more to be able to track how we're going and compare and actually fix solutions in our business. And it, that's kind of what it's about for us from our perspective is you know we could see that you know two-thirds of our emissions aren't actually associated with a Rocky Ridge beer. They're associated with our supply chain. So you can then start to tailor, okay, well, here's a big chunk, can we look at suppliers that are more environmentally friendly? Can we which is the point that
0: Michaela was making, that people want to be in a carbon-neutral supply chain.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it's about kind of factoring where your emissions are and how you can address them and how you can make changes in your business. Um, and that might be a small portion of your business, it might be your tap room, it might be your entire, entire organisation. Um, and there's also different scope options that you can go down, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a sec. So... It's you know it, it's got to suit your business. It's got to suit what you're doing. But I think the more people we can get on board, the cheaper it's going to get for everybody, and the easier it's going to get.
2: Definitely, um, and I think to add to that, I think it's got to suit your business, but it also has to be transparent and kind of standardized. So I think you know there's there's different there's different pathways to climate active that can suit a range of businesses. But I think it's important to then, you know. I guess take a step back and yeah, look at um, what the whole picture looks like, and and can can someone who is looking at this um, tell exactly what we're doing, exactly what we've included, what we've excluded, and um, what you know types of emissions we've bought? Um, I think that's 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 really important as well.
0: Is it a problem in terms of the integrity of the um, certification that? businesses can choose their own carbon boundaries. For example, they can look at their supply line or not. They can look at the distribution of their product or not when they look at their carbon footprint. And so you're not always comparing like for like. And a business can take a very narrow definition of their, their boundary. Mel?
1: To an extent, yes. Um, there's, there's three scopes that you, you need to comply with if you are full carbon neutral. Um, your scope one and two is legally what you have to do to call yourself carbon neutral. There's a lot of scope one and two carbon neutral breweries across Australia. Um, there was a an article, and I'm blanking on the names, but I think it was Moondog and Lion and a couple of others. That might
0: have been on Brews News. That I think that so. Reason? There's
1: a plug. <laughs> um, but then there's, I believe there's only about two or three in Australia that are full scope. So... It depends again on, you, you could start off with the scope one and two, and so long as you're transparent about that, that you are scope one and two carbon neutral, and then work towards scope three, I think that that's, you know, it can be a transition period for your business. Scope three is traditionally the huge portion. That's your kind of supply route. So it's, the bulk of your emissions are going to come from that. So that's why a lot of people choose just to stick to the scope one and scope two as a starting point, because it's, you know, it's, it's a little bit cheaper to offset, um, because obviously it's not the volume of emissions.
0: As I said, we're obviously doing this for the planet, but what's the return on investment for business for Rocky Ridge? You know, by the time you look at all of the um, costs, will you get a return on that investment other than just feeling good about it?
1: I think it's invaluable to the business um, because, like I said before, it gives you that transparency in your own business and it gives you the transparency to the consumer. So, one, you can market that, um, and two, you can fix issues in your own um, supply network or your own internal manufacturing that you can see where there might be you know, some wastage that you don't need to have or you might see um, a more efficient way to do something. So, I think it's invaluable from a cost perspective as well as what you can – your outward-facing product. Um, also, I think it's the social aspect of it as well. Um, In your emissions, you can pick and choose where you want to spend your carbon. Um, So, last financial year, we had to offset, I think it was 724 tonnes of CO2. Don't quote me on that. Um, And we got offered four or five different options. So, you can choose who you want to support and you can tailor that to your business. Last year, we supported um, planting throughout the wheat belt. And then this financial year has gone, we've supported a wind farm. So, it can kind of, you can vary where you're doing your spending. You can bring that social aspect into it as well if you are looking at supporting different things. Um, But you can also bring it in-house through technology upgrades to offset your emissions internally. So you can use the costs that may be associated with offsetting your carbon, rather than offsetting it on a wind farm, you can invest that money in putting in infrastructure that can um, remove carbon from your chain. So there are benefits there as well. Um, For example, like a a CO2 recapture plant, Um, you could use that as a method to then offset your carbon emissions, so you don't have to pay for your emissions externally.
0: What are you seeing, Michaela? How are you seeing businesses return on the investment it's involved in setting up as carbon neutral?
2: I think that's a a tricky question, and it depends on how you've, I guess, set up your certification to begin with. I think um, you can set up a certification um, in a way that you pass on cost to the customer, which... um, a lot of organizations are doing, and then I think it's a little bit more straightforward, but I think it's really hard to be able to break apart um, or to to kind of pinpoint the effect that a carbon neutral certification has had on your sales, for example. Um, I'm not sure how a business would go about doing that, so I think, yeah, that's a qu- better question for Mel, for sure. <laughs>
0: How have you gone to do your customers care? Like, do you do you get a feedback from your clients? Uh, for
1: I, I hope our customers care. Um, <laughs> I think that the the demographic that you target is changing. I think um, younger people are being more. They want to know where the product's coming from. They want to know that it's a responsible product. So I think it's it's going to build moving forward more and more. Um, we are particularly bad as a as a company at telling people all the great things we do. I
0: was actually asked to fold back to... It's to, something we're working to, on. <laughs> to, ..to lean back into the uh, millennials session that you were here. Maybe you should do a TikTok video Maybe about your carbon TikTok, neutral- yeah. <laughs> neutrality.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it, it falls under a greater um, marketing thing for us in that it, it's under what we call our greener pastures. So that, like I said before, captures a lot of different things about our business, but climate being one of them. Um, I think myself that I'm more receptive to products if I know that they're good for the environment I know they're good for people I know they're you know local or responsibly sourced and I think there is merit in it and I think the customer does see that um, I guess we we will see um, with the more and more that come on whether the the trend goes up that they get picked up off the shelf more or if you know it just depends on I like this beer I'm going to grab it so I think the more people that become carbon neutral the more data we will have on that to know but from my perspective I think that the consumer does does drive it.
2: And I guess I can't comment so much on the consumer perspective, but definitely um, in the supply chain, there is a lot of interest in carbon neutral products and and climate active products. Um, So that's, I guess, where you would get your return on investment, um, you know, through being able to partner with an airline to, um, you know, that's becoming carbon neutral um, or offering carbon neutral flights as, as part of their offering that they're interested in doing.
0: The the, the carbon offsetting seems to be fairly vexed, you know, there there seems to be a lot of issues raised with some of the projects that people are using to offset that they may not be as good as they are. Is that another barrier to consumer or to to businesses on one hand, um, if they're sort of saying well I can't believe in the integrity of the carbon offsetting I'm doing? How do we get confidence in the system?
2: That's a great question. Yes, carbon offsets are a hot topic at the moment, um, both because of their integrity and because of their price. Um, and there's a whole lot of carbon offsets out there on the market um, for a whole range of price points and um, you know a whole range of, of quality as well. Um, and unfortunately, it is quite an opaque market. and. Um, it is quite a young market as well, and um, there's really a lot of uncertainty from businesses, um, and I think a lot of fear of of, of doing the wrong thing um, because there have been some missteps from some big companies um, who've bought offsets that have then turned out to be supporting, you know, projects that are, um, yeah, not great, um, not something that they want to be. We're a little associated bit with. and <laughs> So I think this is a really great area to engage help in because it can be a really tricky sort of um, field to navigate. But generally, you know, Australia has um, some great offset projects and we do have a a lot of confidence in them and um, in the framework that they go through. And under Climate Active, again, they... I keep, I keep talking about Climate Active. Um, I have to apologise. <laughs> um, well, but
0: it, 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 it's one of the... Um, the mul- there are multiple certification bodies, yeah. but it's the government-backed one.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, and they do have, you know, some guidance on their website about offsets that they accept. They don't accept all offsets. Um, so that's that's a good place to start if you're not sure about what offsets to, to get.
0: Mel, you've... Again, you speak very confidently about the offsets that you've done. You've done your research and you have confidence in them. Is that a tricky process to do so you know that you're actually offsetting the right things?
1: I think you hit the nail on the head. It's just about doing your research. Um, For those of you who don't know, carbon is kind of traded um, like a currency, so it fluctuates in price. Um, And we've noticed, I think, when we first started um, buying offsets, it was about $12.50 a tonne. Um, I think our last offsets were at about 32. So over three years, it's, it's going up pretty quickly and it's going to continue to go up because a lot of countries have signed on to achieving targets and, you know, we're, we're not working towards net zero yet. We're just working towards offsetting. Um, so there are a lot of projects up there because they've got to take up the bulk of the offsets that people are jumping onto. So there's different categories, there's different areas, you know, it's a global thing. So you can support wind farms in Turkey, you can support um, solar farms in China, you can support things in Australia. But I guess it just depends on doing your research, what you want to support. Um, I did a lot of research into this year's because I wasn't entirely sure I wanted to... Um, to continue with the, the people that we supported last year, um, just to kind of share around making sure we're supporting different global activities. Um, but there is the gold standard as well. So anything, any projects that achieve a certain grade, and I, I'm not privy to this, I don't know what it is, but it gets a gold gold standard. So um, gold standard you know is generally going to be pretty good. So if you, if you don't have time to do your research and or you hit a brick wall with it, you can always just fall back on knowing that someone else has done the research for you and go with the gold standard project. Um, <laughs> It, the industry is, is very much in its infancy, um, like was mentioned before. it's In my mind, I feel it was potentially set up more for large gas and mining companies. Um, so for small business, it's generally the scale's too big. Um, in order to achieve a method which is something like a wind farm that you support or a project that you're offsetting your carbon against, it needs to be 2,000 tonnes of CO2 either that year or for the lifespan of it, which is, you know, when you're talking reforestation and soil projects, that's monstrous amounts of carbon um, to be able to to actually do it in-house. Um, it'd be locking up lots and lots of land that you could then use for something else. So it's about just making sure that you are looking into the right projects rather than huge forestation tracts of land that could be used to feed people. Um, so, doing your research, making sure the projects that you're supporting are supported by the local community, make sure they're not um, stopping another innovative thing happening. And again, if, you, if you're not entirely sure, gold standard is always an easy
2: way to go about it. I think offsets are an interesting topic as well, because I think in, you mentioned that um, you know, a lot of people will see offsetting as a way of kind of avoiding the problem of actually reducing emissions and are you just buying to continue business as usual. Um, but I think, you know, definitely the purpose of becoming carbon neutral or, or climate active is to reduce your emissions where you can and then purchase offsets for where you can't reasonably reduce. Um, so it's it's definitely not meant to be kind of a crutch to lean on indefinitely, especially as um, Mel mentioned, as the, the offset prices are going up and they're probably going to keep going up. Um, so I think that's that's important to remember. I guess um, that it's not that's not the ultimate goal um, of becoming carbon neutral. is is not to just you know buy some offsets and continue doing what you're doing. Um, it's to really try and reduce your emissions where you can, and um, yeah, go through the process of understanding what your hotspots are and um, what that looks like.
0: I think uh, we might throw it uh, open to questions. Does anyone have any questions?
3: Hi. I know it's not technically your field, but do you know some um, starting points that you can do in a brewery to reduce carbon emissions? So like the easy targets?
1: It's super easy. Um, there's lots of little things you can do. The less waste that you have, the less emissions you have. Um, so simple things like trying to remove plastic, um, side streaming, separating things, buying local. Um, it might be a little bit more expensive to buy that product, but then you don't have the freight emissions coming from you know hundreds of kilometres away that you've got to offset. So... Knowing where your product is coming from, if you can find a supplier that's carbon neutral, you can immediately cross them off your list. You don't have to do anything with that. So they may be a little bit more expensive to buy from, but you might get a really good quality product and you don't have to then pay to offset it. Um, reducing water is huge. Wastewater dispatch, especially to fertigation like us, is, is a huge CO2... Fertigation. when um, So if you're not connected to s- um, sewer and s- scheme water system you fertigate to land, which basically means you irrigate over pasture to get rid of your wastewater. That in itself has a lot of CO2 emissions associated with it. Um, so if you can, you know, reduce the amount of water that it takes to make your beer, you have less wastewater at the other end. So. Efficiencies are really the key. Um, trying to just tighten your supply chain, tighten all your inefficiencies, and um, think the simple little things that, you know, you can put some solar panels on your roof. If you can afford them, there's lots of grants out for business to do at the moment. It reduces your power. Even things like requesting, there's a little tick box on your power bill. You can tick green power. It reduces your emissions ever so slightly. I'm not sure what it is, but I think it's about 10%. So it's just these little things that you can do. You might not be able to do everything, but each year if you do one thing, the next year, another thing, the next year you might be able to do two. your emissions are going to be reduced and reduced and reduced.
2: So, yes, um, I agree that electricity is definitely a big one for most organisations. Their electricity consumption is their biggest source of emissions. Um, So Mel was absolutely right with um, solar panels and green power. Um, Those are both great, great mechanisms to reduce your electricity. Um, I guess the good news is that electricity is relatively simple in that way. Um, engaging with your suppliers is maybe a little bit more difficult, but um, in... So we did, we helped Lions um, put, you know, their, um, their alcohol-free, carbon-neutral beer through the Climate Active Certification, and through that process, we found that the most intensive um, source of emissions was the packaging, um, and that's what we've seen with some of the other carbon-neutral producers as well. Um, for beer specifically is that packaging is quite um, emissions intensive, specifically glass. Um, I know cans are a lot less emissions intensive, so that's something to consider as well. If you're launching a new product, um, that's a great place to save emissions as well.
3: So the, the currency is tonnes of CO2? Yeah, so, so when, when you say
2: um, carbon neutral, it's
1: purely talking about CO2, but... Um, Greenhouse gasses is seven different ones, but the ones that we tend to focus on with this is just your straight CO2. Yep. Some some farming, they bring in methane and all sorts of stuff into it, but for our industry, it's, it's mostly CO2.
3: So it's probably the first question's for Mel. So around that, so you mentioned that you're very careful about selecting the partners that you, you contribute towards. So when you're sort of measuring your output and your waste, so you, like, and it's also, I guess, for both of you, how do you actually determine who a good partner is? Like there doesn't seem to be, and we're a business that is not certified organic, but we're an organic company because we looked at the whole ACO thing and we found a little bit of bastardisation in, in the certification and the auditing and all that sort of thing. So I guess is there transparency in the partner that you choose? Like how do you know that the project is actually playing out the way that you nominate to?
1: It's, it's a tricky one. To, to be honest, I don't think there's enough transparency in this industry at all, myself. Um, I would love to see some kind of uh, standardisation to legalities around wh- what you can buy carbon for and what you can't. Um, there obviously is underneath all of that, but when it gets to the point of here's a project, this is what their, their carbon is worth and this is you know how many you can buy and how many are available, it's pretty much it. Um, so it, it, it comes back to just personal research um for example we had four or five that were offered to us that were available at the time suited our budget and offered different things that we could choose from I did some research in one of them and it was in an area that was a little bit sketchy um not in Australia um it was not supported by the local community there was a lot of backlash that I could find from news stories and things so you can immediately kind of go well I'm not at all interested in looking at that. Whereas when you look at other ones that get a lot of community support, they employ 80% of um, the workforce from around their area, you know it's going to be generally a little bit better. So yes and no. There's, there's not enough transparency, but there is a little bit if you're willing to dig deep enough.
3: And...
2: Sorry, I guess I'm a little bit confused. Was your question about your supply chain or about offset projects?
3: Offset projects. So uh... the second question is probably about, more about that. So it's probably for, more for yourself. So, um, you know, like, I look at... There's so much greenwashing in the market everywhere. And if you were to, you know, certify or not certify, um, you know, is there enough work being done internationally around... So, like, life cycle analysis around, OK, so we're contributing towards, say, solar, but, but is there an LCA being done on the cost of producing the panels to offset, like, and what's the payback on that? So, um you know, this whole life cycle analysis thing is like another overlay which does come into offsets and organics. Um, you, and can,
1: you can you um, can calculate your life cycle of your entire brew house if you want to. That's not part of the... So when you do your carbon neutral stuff, there's, like I said, there's the three scopes. One is sort of your straight power bills. One is the... Um, sorry, so that's scope one. Scope two is kind of the emissions that are the back of house involved to get you that power and then scope three is your supply chain, your staff movements to and from work, your delivery of malt from the wheat belt to your silos. That's the monstrous part of it. There's then the fourth, what I call the fourth section, which is what we're starting to look at and that's the life cycle. So that's not necessarily counted in, in this process. Um, so it's there are some emissions that are missed, I guess. There's, like you say, putting two solar panels on your roof it's not. It's not even worth it. It's you know you're going to be doing more damage to the environment than you are helping it. So it's all about scale and it's all about return on investment. I mean we're completely off grid, so we don't even have a power connection. So we were kind of forced to do solar. So the scale of solar that we have is huge enough that it's worth it. Um, but there is also a life cycle on that. You know you've got the life cycle of the batteries that are lithium, and then you got you know all sorts of other things you got to consider when doing it. So it's about weighing up. The pros and cons of both of them, and I guess scale does come into it at that point, as well as budget. You know, you might be able to afford, only be able to afford, you know, a midline product when the the top of the range might be better for the environment and might, you know, have more technology. So, I guess it just comes down to case by case. Um, But yes, there's definitely some things that are missed in this. It's not a cover all. So, like I say, this falls into more of a sustainability. Whole for us, and it's one part of it. There are other things that you still need to do.
2: Um, so I, a life cycle assessment is, um, you know, it, it's a it's a separate kind of certification that is really in depth, and it looks at all of the inputs and outputs of a product. So organizations can go down that path and have a life cycle assessment specifically for their product. It's very it's very very expensive. So. Um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's it's very very detailed, um, and certifying a product is is kind of a it's kind of a beta version of that. Um, we we look at all the same things, but not in as great of a depth.
1: If you were to work out the life cycle of the beers that you make, you would have already moved on to another beer. So it's extremely hard. I mean, we made eighty something different types of beers the last financial year. So to do. To do the life cycle on all of those is going to be hugely expensive.
3: So probably just the last comment is um, rather than assessment analysis. So you know if you're contributing in panels, like you can inherit this information from suppliers. So it's probably getting partners and back to transparency. Part of the like an analysis of a life cycle of anything that you do. So if you're going to go to wind or solar, is that you need to make sure that the partners, I guess, you're working with that produce those panels. Are also you know in sync with what we're doing because again that exactly greenwashing, right. creeps it's picking
1: in. your supply chain and who you buy from and what ingredients make up your product as well as your manufacturing facility and your business as a whole, um, making sure that they are also um, doing the right thing. And you know a lot of people are doing lifecycle um, analysis on products. It's, it's a bit hard in our industry because like I say, we're, we're more of a limited based. Um, short lifespan product. Um, but things like solar panels, it, it's probably much easier because they have one product, that's what they sell. Um, I know for batteries and things, they're doing it a lot. So if you are off grid, there is life cycle assessments, which we started looking at when we upgraded our batteries. Um, and as you expand, you can sort of swap from one technology to another one if you have more funding and that sort of stuff. But yeah, just being, being aware of where you're buying things, I think, is, is the main, the main thing.
2: Mm. And I think at this stage also, just broadly engaging with your suppliers um, and and asking them um, whether they measure their emissions footprint, whether they you know can provide more detail on where their products are coming from, um, you know how they're getting them there, all of that sort of thing is a is a really good place to start. Um, and I think there is definitely a shift um, just just in the world um, towards more awareness on sustainability and and more businesses looking into what their emissions are, so I think, yeah, just just having conversations with your suppliers is a really, really good place to start, and it's going to help you understand your own carbon footprint better, um, and it will help them as well.
0: Please, a big round of applause for tackling a very challenging topic. Thanks to Bintani for making the recording of this panel discussion possible. Bintani, supplying the brewing industry with a wide range of quality brewing ingredients since 1995.